For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Viking Age Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Now, please welcome your host, Adam Patrick. All right, welcome to the Viking Age Podcast, the official podcast for thevikingage.com. I'm your host, Adam Patrick. I'm the editor and lead writer for the Viking Age. Before we get started today, make sure to follow the Viking Age on Twitter and Facebook. The site's username on Twitter is at the Viking Age, and you can follow the site's Facebook page by heading to facebook.com slash the Viking Age. All right, joining the show today is Matt Lombardo. He he covers the New York Giants for gmenhq.com, which is also part of the fan-sided network like the Viking Age. So he's going to help us learn a little bit more about Dalvin Tomlinson and also you know share some of the initial thoughts Giants fans have have had after they signed two former Vikings, Kyle Rudolph and Afedi Odenabo. So welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. No problem. All right. So the Vikings kicked off free agency this year by adding former Giants defensive tackle Dalvin Tomlinson. They now have both Dalvins in the NFL on their roster. Um, so they took care of that. But he spent some time at nose tackle for the Giants. But the Vikings are looking to have him be their new three technique uh, next season next to Michael Pierce. Um, what can Vikings fans expect from Tomlinson, and do you think he can be successful as a full-time three technique? First of all, great piece of trivia that there's only two Dalvins in the NFL. And there you go. Now have both in Tomlinson. You know, Dalvin Tomlinson is a guy who I think that the Giants, in some ways, prioritized going into free agency keeping. He's the type of player that I think they would have liked to keep. A guy they drafted, a guy they developed into a, a really solid player and a fairly dominant front seven defender. He played the, the best season of his career last year playing alongside Leonard Williams, and it was probably his best season as a pass rusher, so I think making the transition to three technique is probably a nice move for him. But, you know, three and a half sacks each of the last two years, a guy who's really good against the run, does a nice job of generating pressure up the middle. And, you know, I think for the Giants, it really just came down to they traded for Leonard Williams, you know, prior to the trade deadline in 2019, and they wanted to use the franchise tag to evaluate him for one more season in 2020. And, you know, they, they kind of forced their own hand by franchising him again and having to sign him to that long-term extension before the new league year began to create cap space. And I think it just came down to a matter of they didn't have the resources to bring both back. So the result here is the Giants get Leonard Williams, who they're really optimistic about, was probably one of their three to five best defensive players. But one of those other three to five best defensive players is now a cornerstone of the Vikings' defensive line. So Minnesota, long story short here, is getting a really rock-solid football player and a heck of a locker room presence as well. Yeah, he was a captain with the Giants, right? Yep, but not, uh, not only a captain, probably one of the more respected veteran leaders on either side of that ball, either side of the football, rather, and, you know, really well-liked by all of his teammates. So 
Um, you know, Walter Payton, Man of the Year award nominee for the Giants a couple of times, former captain. And, you know, he's just the type of guy that, you know, you walk up to his locker and he always has a funny story to tell or a joke to tell. Um, you know, players seem to gravitate towards him. Just just an all-around great guy in addition to being a really good football player. Yeah, so we've, we hear all the good stuff, but are there any negatives maybe about Tomlinson's game that, that Vikings fans should know about? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that there are that many negatives other than I, I don't think that in this economic climate that the Giants had the resources under the cap to, to bring him back. I think that in a perfect world, in a year where the salary cap was closer to $202 million versus $183.5, right. I think there's a good chance that the Vikings don't wind up getting Dalvin Tomlinson because it doesn't leave East Rutherford. Yeah. It was. Uh, it's interesting to see how a lot of things worked in the league this year with that that salary cap reduction. Um, on the Giants side of things, they recently signed former Vikings tight end Kyle Rudolph. Now Rudolph has already said in a bunch of interviews since then he's looking forward to getting back to you know catching a bunch of passes since he was more of a blocker for his last few seasons with the Vikings. Do you think Rudolph is going to be more of a receiving threat with the Giants, or is he actually going to end up maybe with more, actually a similar role to what he was doing with Minnesota since the Giants already have a pass-catching tight end, Evan Ingram? Well, you got to remember, Evan Ingram dropped eight passes last year yeah. and really struggled to get involved in Jason Garrett's offense. And a lot of the route concepts were kind of, hey, Evan, go stand in the flat and see what happens. There weren't a lot of you know, you know, nine routes. There weren't a lot of crossing patterns over the middle. Not a lot of plays where... You would think getting Evan Ingram the ball in space and letting his athleticism do the rest really came into play. But he also had the key drops. He had the drop pass in Philadelphia on a Thursday night game on fourth down that would have extended the game. And probably, given the Giants that win, um, not really reliable. They struggled to get him involved in the offense. So I think that bringing in Kyle Rudolph kind of creates the ability for the Giants to play a lot of two tight end sets. They didn't play a lot of 11 personnel last year. They, they, you know, basically a one tight end team. I think that Rudolph's ability as a blocker is going to help because this still is a run first offense and it was mm -hmm. a run first offense when it was most successful last year, even without Saquon Barkley. But getting Barkley back, having as many tight ends who can block is certainly a really good thing. But I think that Kyle Rudolph's role here is going to be an insurance policy on Ingram struggling again or the type of thing that you're seeing a lot of teams do around the league. And Lakeland goes out and they bring in Hunter Henry and John o. Smith. Last year before Zach Ertz got hurt, in Philadelphia, the plan was to use Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Mm -hmm. I think that the Giants are really copying that formula, and they're hoping that especially down in the red zone where Kyle Rudolph was so reliable, and because of the fact that he hasn't dropped a pass in the last two years and his hands are so reliable, that he can be a weapon in the passing game for them that maybe he hadn't been in Minnesota the last couple of years. Yeah, I think the Vikings were actually trying to do the two tight end thing too as well with Rudolph and Irv Smith Jr. just wasn't able to really ever work out like they had hoped so but what has been the general reaction from the Giants fan base um to the team signing Rudolph is everyone just you know watching all of his highlights of one-handed touchdown catches and getting you know excited for the potential of a two-head monster two-headed monster at tight end with Rudolph and Ingram <laughs> I think initially people were kind of surprised I think it was one of those deals where as you brought up in the beginning of the conversation they already had Evan Ingram, so I yeah. think people were kind of surprised they were bringing in another pass catch tight end. But then you had the injury hiccup. And, you know, th then I think a lot of people started thinking, even before the deal almost had to be reworked or fell through, that here's a guy whose production has declined the last couple of years. Here's a guy who's been injured, who's been banged up, who there might be some question marks about. And I think that people were kind of 
going into that thinking, oh, was this really the right move for the Giants to make? Is this money well spent? But then once uh, the hiccup got worked out and the surgery is planned to the point where Rudolph says he doesn't intend to miss any football or hopes not to miss any football, I think people are just excited about having another weapon in this this system because, look, the Giants need to figure out what they have in Daniel Jones. He's a guy that only accounted for 12 touchdowns in 14 games last year. He still has a turnover issue. He's only 18 as a starter. So you bring in Kenny Galladay, you bring in John Ross, you bring in Kyle Rudolph, you get Saquon Barkley back, now all of a sudden this is an offense with a lot of talent around a young quarterback, and I think people are just excited to see what Rudolph brings to that mix and how he can help elevate this offense and help Daniel Jones develop. I don't think I realized that the Giants added all those players. I mean, I was aware of the signings that they made, but now that you say them all together, yeah, they they do have a bunch of weapons now, and this kind of seems like a make-or-break year for, for Daniel Jones, but... The Giants not only signed one former Vikings player this season, but they also ended up with another former Viking in Afedi Odenabo. Um, I Odenabo, I, I got to remember that phonetically because yeah. every time I've seen it in print, I've, I've kind of hedged my bets on how I say it. I'm gonna yeah, I've, spell, I've, sure. I pride myself on, one, knowing how to say it and also just knowing how to spell it. Like, I don't have to check anything now, but uh, that now it doesn't mean anything because he's gone. Um, but but during his time with the Vikings, Odenabo excelled the most when he was more of a situational pass rusher. So is this the kind of role you think he will have with the Giants, or do you think the Giants might try and actually give him a shot as one of their starting defensive ends? Well, I think that you're going to see a situation where he's going to be in the mix at defensive end because you have Leonard Williams on one side, you have you know Dexter Lawrence in the middle, then you kind of have a hodgepodge between Odenabo, B.J. Hill, who was a former third-round pick back in 2018, but who's kind of the odd man out once Leonard Williams arrived, and the veteran Austin Johnson, who's more of a run stuffer than a pass rusher. And I think that there's a chance that he gets, you know, his first crack at landing the starting defensive end job. I also think that depending on what the Giants do in the draft, they really haven't addressed the outside linebacker spot. So you've probably watched Odenabo a little more than I have, but if he can, you know, be an edge rusher and, and stand up rather than putting his hand in the dirt, I think that's a way that he can get on the field as well because even though the Giants invested third-round picks in consecutive years in Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zamenez, neither one of those guys have really developed into elite talents and both are coming off significant injuries. So if Odenabo can play defensive end, if he can stand up and play outside linebacker, if they can move him around, and defensive coordinator Patrick Graham really is you know, made a habit last year of moving his personnel around uh, in different formations and different packages. And really, that, that was pretty instrumental in the Giants' defense taking such a big leap forward last year. If Odenabo has that versatility and they can kind of use him as a weapon in various ways, I think he's going to get on the field and he's going to get on the field for meaningful snaps. Yeah, the Vikings used him in a, a lot of different ways. Like they would, on third down situations, they'd have him as part of their, their pass rush package where he'd line up on the inside as defensive tackle. And then, you know, other times he's lined up on the outside as a edge rusher. So it'd be interesting to see uh, how they, they use him in New York. Um, but all right. So I want to get your opinion on, on Pat Shermer's tenure as the Giants head coach. He was hired by the Giants in 2018 after a successful stint as the Vikings offensive coordinator. Uh, but unfortunately for the Giants and Shermer, he only lasted two seasons and now, I don't know how much time you have, but what do you think went wrong with Shermer in New York? <laughs> well, Adam, I think that when it comes to Pat Shermer, I think he's one of these guys, one of these coaches, who is just a far better offensive coordinator yeah. than he is a head coach. And that was my 
perception of him. I, I don't. I, I didn't get the sense that he was a guy that could really run an entire program. I, I think that the media spotlight was a little bit too bright for him in New York. I also yep. think that the organization, being where it was, kind of straddled between going and getting young talent, but also trying to piecemeal a roster around Eli Manning for his first season and drafting Daniel Jones going into his second. I don't think that Pat Shermer was set up for success. So I think it was just a really bad situation all around. And, you know, Shermer, I think, had his uh, had his faults. I do think that he's a really innovative play caller in a lot of ways as a coordinator. And I think that, you know, the, the Denver Broncos are a team to watch, depending on what they do at quarterback, because of yeah. all of the young talent and, and in Shermer's system. But I think that given the Giants kind of had a modus operandi of trying to win with Eli Manning in 2018 and drafting Saquon Barkley number two, and then drafting a quarterback but not playing Daniel Jones right away in Shermer's second season, even though Pat Shermer desperately wanted to get Jones on the field week one. I think all of that kind of came together, and it was just a bad situation where he wasn't going to succeed, and I don't know how many head coaches would have succeeded with the roster that he was getting. Yeah, so do you think think two years was a fair enough shot for him to try and turn things around? You know, I, I, I do only because I don't think the giants made enough progress in the second season. Now, you know, I think that Joe judge coming in and so quickly changing the culture, um, really showed what they were lacking in terms of Pat Shermer at the helm. I think the fact that they were competitive down the stretch last year, even though they only won six games and the needle seems to be pointing upward on on the Giants, because a lot of ways, because of Joe Judge, I think that that goes to show you that maybe Pat Shermer wasn't the right guy for the job. But you can flip that coin and look at the other side, and you have to wonder if maybe Daniel Jones doesn't regress as dramatically in his second season, and maybe going into you know his his third season, his third season, maybe the Giants are in a better spot if he you know had a better second season because of a year of familiarity and continuity. With Pat Shermer, and Shermer was pretty instrumental in drafting him. Um, he was one of his biggest supporters in the building leading up to that draft. So, uh, yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways, two years was enough. And in a lot of ways, I'm kind of curious to see what it would have played out if Shermer would have had another year. Yeah, it's always curious because you look at teams, maybe like the 49ers who have Kyle Shanahan, and I feel like in his first couple, at least like two or three seasons, that they were just terrible. And then, you know, they were able to get to the NFC Championship because they stuck with him and stuck with the same system. So it would be, I think it would have been interesting to see if Shermer got at least maybe one more year to see what he could do with, you know, like you mentioned with Daniel Jones, but we'll never know. Um, way back in the day before he ended up with the Browns, I believe there was some some random rumors about the Vikings having interest in trading for Odell Beckham Jr. Um, did you ever hear anything about this when you when this whole fun situation was taking place? Did the Vikings actually make a call about trading for Beckham? I don't. I can't. I don't know one way or the other how involved the Vikings were, and right. that deal with the Browns seemed to come together pretty quickly. I remember yep. being pretty surprised um, that they were able to pull that trade off, and it all seemed to stem from John Dorsey and Dave Gettleman, you know, meeting at the NFL Combine and kind yep. of hashing this out while they were watching some of the drills. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they were involved in that mix because it seemed like the Giants were pretty openly shopping Beckham in the weeks leading up to him being traded. But I, I can't remember, and I don't recall definitively, um, the Vikings being involved to the level of making a phone call or anything like that. Yeah, I just, I, 
probably just some random, you know, Twitter user getting uh, trying to get some more followers. That, but that never happened. You mean Ad, you mean Adam Shorter? <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we're gonna play a little game. I'm gonna give you one player from the Vikings, the Giants, and you just have to tell me which player you think will be the most successful during the next three seasons. So we're not talking about entire careers here. We're just talking about the next three seasons. So are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So first, I've got Kirk Cousins or Daniel Jones. Oh, next three seasons? Yeah. Boy, that's so tough. Um, <laughs> because I really like what both teams have done around their quarterbacks. I think Justin Jefferson is elite, is an elite talent. I think that Dalvin Cook is what the Giants hope Saquon Barkley can develop into if yep. he stays healthy. Cousins has the track record. I think in the short term, I think Cousins is the guy here. All right. Um, how about the 26-year-old Evan Ingram? Or Adam Thielen, who will turn 31 in August. You know, Ingram's coming off a Pro Bowl season, and Thielen is coming off a season in which he caught 14 touchdowns. Yeah, Adam Thielen's an easy one here. <laughs> easy. I, I just, every year, there's talk about Evan Ingram breaking out, Evan Ingram, mm-hmm. you know, his production matching his athletic potential. And every year, the Giants and their fans seem to be disappointed in what they get out of Ingram that season. So uh, Adam Thielen is probably one of the 15 best receivers in the league, if not better than that. Give me Adam Thielen. All right. 2-0 for the Vikings. All right. Dalvin Cook or Saquon Barkley? <sighs> you know, if Saquon Barkley's healthy, I think that he's probably one of the two or three best running backs in the league. I'm going to buck the trend here, and I'm going to go with Saquon. There you go. Uh, and Dalvin Cook's coming off. I think he had around 360 touches last year, so that's always... Yeah, eventually, eventually the, the treads start to run a little bit. Yeah. I, running backs. And even the young guys look at McCaffrey and, and Barkley, so uh, yep. it's uh, it's it's not easy for these guys. Uh, how about Daniil Hunter, two-time pro bowler, but he missed all of last season with a, a neck injury, or Leonard Williams. Uh, and Hunter is actually younger than Williams. I think they were both drafted in the same year. And uh, and Williams just had 11 and a half sacks. So. I go with Leonard Williams here only because, you know, he never really lived up to that first-round pedigree being the number six overall pick or whatever he was yep. by the Jets until he got into the Giants system with Patrick Graham. And I think that Patrick Graham's influence on Williams and defensive line coach Sean Spencer really getting through to him and what they've been able to do last year, I, I think the needle was pointing very firmly in the upward direction on a minute Williams. Man, I wish I had thought of a tiebreaker because I only have four. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we'll just end it with 2-2. Um, all right, I'll get you out of here on this. You also do some national NFL coverage for fan-sided addition to your coverage of the Giants. So this week's this week, the league's owners approved to add a 17th game to the regular season, and they also reduced the amount of preseason games to only three. So there's been a bunch of mixed reactions to this by the players and and others who cover the sport. So uh, just what are some of your thoughts on this decision? Is it a, is it good for the league? Are the players getting screwed or anything like that? Like what, what was your reaction to the announcement? Well, I wrote about this in my column this morning, very briefly, Adam, but I think that everybody kind of wins here. I think the players lose a little bit because obviously they're taking on the added injury risk, but their piece of the revenue pie just got bigger. So they're going to be, you know, getting a larger percentage of the league's revenue during the rest of this CBA because of the 17th game. Fans win because you get one more week of meaningful football. And for a lot of teams, that's going to mean one more week of being in playoff contention down the stretch. I think a couple of downsides here, obviously, first and foremost, is the the players, you know, with the added risk of serious injury. I I think there were reasonable concerns there. 
Um, but I spoke to a player this week who told me that part of the ongoing negotiations are kind of lessening what they're able to do in the offseason and during yeah. the practice weeks to make up for the added game. So I'm going to be really interested to see what those changes are. Um, and the other thing is you, you start thinking about the league records and, and the amount of 2,000-yard rushers and how rare of a feat that used to be and how common it's probably about to be. Um, but the overarching theme here is, yes, it's 17 games this year, but Adam, I, I bet a pretty healthy sum that sometime in the next five years, if not before that, it's going to be 18 games and the preseason is going to go away. But um, in, in the grand scheme of things, I think from a financial standpoint, this is a big win for everybody. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm. I would rather have 18 right now. Just aesthetically, I think it would just. It just looks better because 17 is just weird. We're gonna yeah, have nine, a bunch and, of, nine and eight seems yeah. weird to me. <laughs> yeah, well, There's some, something weird about nine and eight. Some teams gonna manage to go like eight, eight and one just to just to do it. You know, if Jeff Fisher was back in the league, he'd find a way to do that. Every um, year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's it's interesting because yeah, everyone. Of course, everyone wants more football. I think. If they do go to eighteen, I think you gotta add another bye week because it's just there's just it's just already like what if a what if a team gets the bye week in, in week six? So then the next, you know, uh what, fourteen, fifteen weeks they gotta play with without without rest. I think that's that's asking maybe a little too much of, of these players. And by the end of the year you're gonna get to the Super Bowl and have teams with like half the roster because they're gonna just be, you know, hanging yeah, on no, by I a thread. Agree. And the other thing is, speaking of the Super Bowl, we're, you're going to get President's Day weekend Super yeah. Bowl soon. And that's going to be phenomenal because if you're covering the game and you're in the stadium, you get to you know leisurely fly out of there on Monday mm-hmm. because it's a holiday. And you're just sitting around having a, a Super Bowl party at your house, assuming those are a thing again mm-hmm. in the near future. <laughs> you, you, you don't have to worry about waking up the next morning. So I'm all about a President's Day Super Bowl weekend. Oh yeah, everyone. Everyone already has been. There's probably like petitions going around of wanting the day after the Super Bowl to be like a national holiday anyway. So if they figure out a way <laughs> to actually position it, you know, President's Day weekend, that that would be perfect. Um, but that's going to do it for today. So thanks for joining the show, Matt. Uh, how can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, you can check me out at Matt Lombardo NFL. Perfect. So go check that out. Go check his stuff out on gmenhq.com as well as Fansided. He does some great work over there with some some insight that not everyone can offer you um, anywhere. So go check that out. Uh, as for this podcast, make sure to follow on Twitter at The Viking Age and follow us on Facebook as well. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But until next time, we will talk to you later. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.